So it's John Johnson, VP for NSF Health Sciences. This is our third in the series of our GMP podcasts. And uh, you'll probably remember the first podcast that I did was about best practices in communication during COVID or any other type of crisis in our industry. And the second one, I, was, I did that with my wife, Mandy, talking about the QA product disposition process during tough times, you know, tough times like we're in at the moment. And we were able to share some nice war stories and watch outs during those podcasts. We had a lot of hits and likes, and we wanted to expand this further today, really to introduce some new expertise to the podcast. Um, I'm joined today by my colleague and friend, Paul Merrick. Hi, Paul. Hi, John. Really good to speak to you this morning. Paul brings to NSF uh, 30 years experience in the industry across a range of corporate and operational roles, primarily AstraZeneca in, uh, in Macclesfield in the UK. He's a fellow of the Institute of Mechanical Engineers. And, you know, I feel somewhat in the shadow here because, as I always say, as a, as a mere chemist, I really don't know one end of the uh, spanner from another. So it's great to have Paul here to help me with this particular subject that we're going to cover today. And we're going to cover the GMPs associated with engineering services in the pre and post COVID era that we're in. So Paul and I have a lot in common. You know, we're really into a GMP and good documentation practice and lean and Kaizen projects. And we also love uh, a couple of uh, really nice pubs in where we live here in Buxton in Derbyshire. So Paul, very warm welcome. Thank you, John. So Paul, most of our clients are now introducing a phased and controlled return to work, which is really great to see because many of them have been furloughing staff or mothballing facilities now, some even regrettably suspending clinical trial manufacturing projects. So it's been really, really tough. And we're seeing shutdowns now run into up to and including a six months period of shutdown. So from what you're seeing, Paul, how are you seeing the industry pan out in the next three to six months? I think it's a, a challenge in many aspects, but it, it's about startup really and uh, managing that startup and assessing the risk and, and working critically as a multidiscipline team. You may be likening to starting up a new facility. I mean, essentially everything's been stood in most facilities, so you, you need to treat it as a project, but that also applies to bringing people back online as well from a competence and, and uh, skills ability if you like because they've been out of the game a while. Yeah Mandy and I often talk about how easy it was to define a lockdown but how difficult it is to define a phased unlockdown. So when you've had a shutdown in your facility and you want to get back and up and running and there's huge demand for pharmaceutical capacity just now, how do firms manage this in the most effective way Paul? I think they need to understand just you know when and how was it was it switched off was the facility closed up you know liken it to something that you're familiar with if you leave your house or you leave your car or you uh, mothball anything you know it, it's the same principle how do i get back what do i need to do and who's going to help me to do that so the facilities utilities and equipment need managing but what about people when they've not been operating those procedures for six months or more yeah, I think you need to bring the people back on stream. Um, 
you know, not one at a time, but don't bring them all in tomorrow if you've got 30 technicians work for you. Bring them in slowly but surely um, based on where do you want to focus them, what the priorities are, and making sure that they, they are comfortable and competent to approach the tasks to hand at a time. Yeah, we know that many of our clients are spending this time trying to fix some legacy issues before they get back up and running. So, for example, with the new requirements in uh, the Draft Annex 1 for Udrelex, many firms are trying to upgrade their facilities just now. So just talk me through the key steps in making those changes and then getting back up and running to make commercial pharmaceutical product. Yeah, well, you treat it like any project shutdown, but um, it, change control is critical and the competence of the, of the people working within the team, whether they be full-time staff or contractors, um, is, is absolutely vital. It is a team effort and the risks are assessed to progress to an end result and how will the people that didn't see the change accept the change and you know our SOP updates put in place um, what about competencies from a training point of view etc everything needs considering yeah and it's not just about engineering is it we're going to talk a little bit more in a minute about QA oversight and bringing them on stream with you but we're also hearing Paul that uh, there's a, a lack of uh, available talent and experience out there in some key areas so firms are looking more to outsourcing. Any key advantages and disadvantages from your perspective in that? I think if you're outsourcing, by all means, bring in the skills from an outsourced uh, contractor that you are, if you like, requiring more of or don't have in-house. But it's management oversight for us from a technical point of view and a QA point of view to see who's to ensure you know who's responsible and accountable for what aspects of that work. But I don't have any problem with outsourcing anything as long as it's managed and controlled. Yeah, so you want really clear roles, responsibility, authority. And obviously, ultimately, you need a single point of contact, don't you? Yeah, and you do need that single point of contact to control the whole process so that uh, there's no, du no duplication and things don't slip through the gaps. So let me ask you a question I really should have asked you probably years ago. You know, for somebody who's so poor at understanding anything to do with engineering, you know, I can barely change a, a plug in my house. I don't know, one end of a spanner from another. Why are QA actually asked to sign off uh, outsourced engineering certificates? Some QA people have asked me that in the past, particularly when we were looking at computer system validation. But essentially, it's because the CFRs and the Udrelex or Orange Guide or whatever, they dictate that you must have QA oversight as an independent authority. Um, and it is important that that's in place. But as a technical person, I think it's also important that we explain to our QA colleagues how some systems work and try and keep it in layman's terms so that the QA person or the QP or whoever does feel comfortable when they put their very valuable signature on a document to satisfy the regulatory authorities and they don't feel uncomfortable in doing that. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. My signature is the most uh, valuable possession that I have, Paul, and I don't want to give it away at half past four signing a certificate that I, I can barely understand. So it's always good to be kept on side by the engineers. One of the things I always look for as well on a certificate is whether there's any information about how the equipment was found, what condition was it found in. Just explain to us the importance of as found versus as left. Well, if the person approaching any system or piece of equipment or instrument doesn't note the as found state, 
whether that's in a lot of detail or, or just as simple, you know, it's switched off. But particularly with an instrument, it needs to be what was the calibrated state in the as found state, because that supports the quality aspects of product release in many cases. And it's really important that everybody knows in case of investigations, deviations, etc. How was the system instrument or whatever in the as found state? Yeah, I want to know that it's performed according to its validated status for the whole duration since the last successful PPM or calibration, don't I? Absolutely. And was it, you know, if it was out of tolerance or out of spec, how much was it out of spec? And how's that affected the quality of product made during that period? Yeah, it just brings it home to me just how important that relationship is between engineers and QA. You know, fundamentally, being able to do a risk assessment when a condition is found that is unacceptable or unusual. So what about um, setting up these contracts uh, with a service provider? Any, any particular issues that you've seen in your uh, career with working with outsourced engineers? I think um, it's a relationship that need, needs to be developed to make sure that you understand who's responsible, who's accountable. Um, you can do some background research to make sure that they've got a good name in the industry or industries similar to pharmaceuticals, you know, some of them don't. So let's say nuclear or aerospace, but you can do historical research and it's about developing the relationship with them, not just using them uh, willy-nilly off the shelf, if you like. You know, it's good to have a long-term relationship. And how careful have you got to be to make sure that any engineering contractors respect your uh, clean room gowning and uh, clean room conditions? I think if you've got any concerns there, you need somebody with them, chaperoning them. Otherwise, if they bring the skills with them, then um, you, know, you can check the competency and sign them off. And just thinking about the GMP documents as well, related to that work and, and the certificates that they generate. For me as a QP or quality director, I'm always very interested in the small print, the terminology, you know, abbreviations and acronyms can be just as uh, prevalent in engineering as they are regrettably in QA. Um, I'm always very interested in good documentation practice and the governance of good, accurate data. But the thing that I'm, I always be very careful about is fettling. So this is the kind of uncontrolled minor adjustments and improvements that engineers can make, sometimes that are not always well documented. Have you had any experience of that? How do you control that, Paul? Yeah, it's always difficult because uh, technicians love to change things and, and just make things run a little better or, you know, I've just tweaked this because it wasn't quite running right. But they need to understand what the impact of their fettling, for want of a better <laughs> word, has on the system that is in a validated state and qualified state when they went to it and that they've not upset that. So I think it's all about training and educating them. You know, you can't just twiddle this and fettle that and it's important that isn't done absolutely absolutely so really for me the take-home messages from this uh, podcast is is to invest in the knowledge of gmp not just in your engineering team but also in your qa team and how they work together and also thinking about any service providers because ultimately we're all held to the same standards of good documentation practice and qa ultimately should be a law facilitation service not a law enforcement service what about your key messages, Paul? I think I'd just reiterate that, John. And I think um, somebody once said to me, QA are policemen. They are not policemen. They're crime prevention officers. That's a good way of putting it. I like that. I like that. Well, Paul, thanks very much. 
this uh, podcast is going to be posted on our uh, website, nsf.org. It'll be on LinkedIn and we're going to send it direct to our valued clients. And I'm sure many of them will be very interested to hear what you've had to say today, Paul. Ultimately, I think in the current situation we're in, there's really no need to add to the drama that we're all facing. We've really got to focus on what's truly important, be there for each other and help keep everyone aligned to the purpose of their roles. Whether you're an engineer in QA or operations, we're all here to help preserve and improve world health. Hopefully you got something out of that podcast. Please like it as you see it and we'll be speaking again soon. Thank you very much. Thanks again, Paul. Thanks, Jim.